Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Rhythms of Renewal, trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm. Welcome to another edition of Rhythms for Life podcast, and today I am excited for the conversation you're about to hear. Rebecca sits down with just one of our favorite people, Lisa Bevere, and Lisa is amazing. If you've not read her books, she is such a mother in how she describes her life. She's raised four amazing children, four boys that are just great kids. Uh, They're all 20s and 30s now, but just amazing people, and it's the type of person you want to listen to as a parent. As somebody who's trying to navigate, how do I live my life now to produce the fruit and a harvest in the future that I know is going to be abundant and I know is going to help other people flourish? And so Rebecca sits down with Lisa Bevere. I want you to listen in talking about her new book, her new learnings around this idea of being a godmother. Her new book's called Godmothers, Why You Need One and How to Be One. And she's going to address a lot of the issues that I find happening amongst women today in conversation. So let's listen in on one right now. Lisa, 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 I'm so excited you are here today. I know. I can't believe I'm actually here. We're not doing this over the phone or by Zoom, but we're looking at each other. I know. I'm very, very excited about this. You know, your friendship has been invaluable to me for years now, but especially in the last, I would say, three three to four years. I'll never forget the day you called me and you just wanted to have a really honest conversation. And I was so moved by your vulnerability and uh, your willingness to just jump into the deep end of friendship. And I don't, I was almost caught off guard because I wasn't expecting it, but I was so, it was so endearing to me. I just felt like, okay, I will, I will be her friend forever if she's up for it. Yes. (laughs) And the one thing that I, I think that you model so well is while you're older and wiser, only for by about 15 years, 14 years, you look like you're my sister, let's be honest, (laughs) but you don't at all diminish or talk down you are so curious. You ask so many questions. When did someone do that for you that kind of showed you, like, I want to be that kind of person? Or did that ever actually happen? Yeah. You know, it didn't. But later in life, I met other women that were on the same journey with me. But, you know, Rebecca, early on, I I just remember when God told me he called me to minister women, I was like, that is a mistake. I mean, I, I'm not even sure I like them. And, and I don't have no other women in your home. Yeah, uh, right. And, and my mother didn't. Her mother, you know, her mother didn't give her what she needed. And then because she didn't get what she needed from her mom, she didn't have what she needed from me. And so at a very young age, my mom said, "Hey, you're your dad's, and your brother is mine. Good luck with that. And you're going to be really sorry because you're never going to have a woman in your life." And you, you know, I was seven, and at the time you don't understand how those things frame your life with sure. brokenness. And so then I get saved, and that's what God did. He's like, "I've called you to minister women." I'm like, um, <laughs> "Are you talking to the person in the apartment next door?" Because this is not the right person. And I begged him. I said, "Okay, if you want me to minister to women, you're going to have to send me one." And for eight years, first eight years of our marriage, I was pregnant with our third son at this point. No woman. And 
I found myself in a situation where my husband tricked me to speak to women at a Pentecostal holiness gathering. Which I'm kind of like, tricked you. He did. That sounds exactly I'll, like John. I was like, not, I got a great idea, Lisa. No, he came home at 1 a.m. or like midnight and told me, you're speaking tomorrow morning. Yeah, he did. I was not even on the schedule. I just was coming along to be his wife. And I'm like, what in the world? I, I can't do this. And so anyway... I remember just pouring out in brokenness and saying, I didn't have a mentor. I don't know what to do. And God said, yes, you actually do. And I'm like, mm. I actually don't. He said, everything you wish a woman would have been to you, you begin to be. So mm. I sat down in that dirty motel and I wrote it backwards. I said, okay, this is how she'd look at me. This is how she'd teach me. This is how she would pour into my marriage. This is how she would help yeah. me with motherhood. And I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to pour out Mm. of what I never have, but I got from God. And and I feel like there's been too many people that don't understand that there are gaps in all of our lives. And often the way God closes the gap is by inviting us to be what What we never had. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You know what? That that resounds so much to me because I remember when Cade was born and I was 26, and I was like, I don't know anybody who's you know, mid-20s having a special needs child. And I'm sorry, I'm already emotional. No, this I is, love, the, this no. is what you do to me. Yeah. Um, and um, I was just trying everywhere to find yeah. somebody who could mentor me. And and yet what it turned into very quickly within like a few months is like I was working for North Point Community Church, Andy Stanley Church back at the time. And the community came around me. The staff was incredible. And they said, well, we don't really have anyone to mentor you. You're like the – I became the um, the – chairman for the county for the Down syndrome uh, like society. And then they basically just said, uh, we have families. Whenever a family has a diagnosis, can they call you? And so instead of me actually getting someone who had been walking before me, I wound up fielding calls for a bunch of other people, all ages, who were experiencing that as well and mentoring them, which I was like, I'm literally about three months ahead of you or one year ahead of you or, or one five. Week. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I don't know that I'm really qualified at all. Um, but it's true. I, I felt what you what you just articulated was we want to know we're not alone, and we want to know that someone else is feeling those same needs and also um, hungry for those same things. And when you can actually define or describe what it is that you need, you can better know how to meet that for somebody else because we're we're so much more alike, which is your theme through this book. And I'm so thrilled that you talk about like we're knit. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. Talk yeah. about the bond that you articulate so well among women, this, the daughters of God in the same family. Yeah, and I think that everything in our culture says, no, you're unraveled. And, and God's like, well, I might unravel areas in your life to reconnect you with where you were woven. You know, And sometimes I, I think that we have forgotten the beauty of being older women and younger women the yeah. beauty of being daughters of God, the privilege of caring life and caring for life. All of these things our culture has tried to rip away from us and said, you know, be like a man, do what the man does, which is beautiful and amazing. Women can do all of that. Sure. But when we are so busy acting like men, we actually sometimes neglect the unique entrustment of women. So I yes. I, you know, I feel like we've got a very divided, divisive uh, narrative going on right. where everybody uh, goes that way when they're in isolation. Yes. And so until we get 
conversations and we are together and we talk to the right people that have the right answers, that's just going to continue. So I do think, I think that God is weaving all of his daughters of all ages and all races and all backgrounds and all socioeconomic, you know, groupings. And he is saying, hey, there's there's a reason that you're all part of this beautiful story. And what I saw that day when I realized I wasn't going to get a mentor was I saw this beautiful chain and it was coming down from heaven. I saw each link. And, you know, we think of chains as imprisonment. This was, this was like a necklace. Mm. And I saw all these chains coming down and then the link stopped. And then I saw airspace. And then I saw another link just suspended by itself. Wow. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, this represents generation after generation after generation of my daughters. And he said, there's been a break between the mothers and the daughters. And he said, but I don't want a mentoring of pride. I want a mothering of brokenness. And, you know, a mother's heart means she wants more for her children than she had for herself. You've taught me that. Yeah. Well, and (laughs) I mean, think about where you've come. You've gone from feeling overwhelmed and underqualified, having Cade. You could have stopped right there. But then you adopted joy. I mean, you and went still, and still um, <laughs> overwhelmed, overwhelmed and underqualified. <laughs> well, joy, nineteen joy. years later. <laughs> but isn't that what we're supposed to be? I mean, if we don't have a sense of doubt and inadequacy in our life, does do our life require faith? Right. I, I just think too many people think we're supposed to just live in a constant confidence realm right. in our own self. And and I'm sorry, I have found God every time I get comfortable and overly confident, He pushes me out into a realm sure. where I have to grab a hold of His hand. Yes, I think we're all there this year. <laughs> I think we've all been pushed out. If we out. weren't? Yes. We, if we, we weren't, are. we now are. <laughs> yes. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. God is so much louder when I'm, you know— just day by day, you know, at the end of my rope, surrendered on my face, Lord, show me. Um, It's more sweet. It's more intimate. It's more dependent. It's more powerful. Ultimately, um, you have um, raised four boys, and yet God told you to minister to women. I mean, it seems very ridiculously. (laughs) You're called to all the people. (laughs) Um, How did raising four boys coincide with like your heart for women? Is it partly because you're like, I- I'm called to this, but you gave me four sons? Yeah, I felt like there was a lot of misappropriation. <laughs> I was like, uh, you do not have four boys. You know, one thing I think that having four sons exposed in my life was you have to teach men to not love women. Every single one of my sons at some point asked me to marry them. I mean, like they were, you know, they were just like, "Mom, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, please marry me." And um, I found out that cultural narratives are very much the antithesis of what is truly masculine and what is truly feminine, mm-hmm. and that men are not heartless, uh, aggressive, uh, misusers of authority. Um, that's not how they're born. They're right. born to protect. I remember the first time. John raised his voice to me in a car in front of Addison when Addison was probably two. And I remember him saying, don't talk to my mommy like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I was like, whoa, yep, what just happened? Totally. There's a protectiveness. And, and then we've got the females that there is a protectiveness in us for the heart of the matter. 
Like we are the intimate protectors. So what I feel like our culture has done is stripped away the value of being intimate protectors to being guardians of the heart. So I have found, and I don't know if this has been your experience, I've been disappointed by men, but I've been wounded by women because I opened up my heart and then they betrayed me. And, And so if women can be intimate wounders, they can also be intimate healers. And so for me, looking at these gaps in our lives, the generation gaps between the older and the younger women, when Titus is very clear that the older women are commanded, they must, must is like a yeah. command of word, teach and train the younger women to love their husbands, to train their children, mm-hmm. and to do good. You don't need anybody to train you to love your kids. Usually that's easy. It's the husbands that right? you need to right? be trained yes. to love, and then to do good. And so there was this older generation of women and younger generation coming up together, coming up together. And now we've got generation gaps. We have information gaps. We have communication gaps. We have gender gaps. We have all these gaps. And when I looked up the meaning of the word gap, you know, again, that's what I saw with the links. When I looked up the wording of the mean gaps, it is a breach in a military position, Hmm. a break in a wall that leaves both sides vulnerable to attack. And so we've got daughters that are vulnerable, and older women who are vulnerable. Older women who think, everything I've learned the hard way, it's it's just going to go to the grave with me. Mm. And younger women who think that older women can't be bothered. And so I wanted to start to close those gaps because there needs to be a connection between the older women and the younger women. And, you know, we see it modeled throughout the Bible. We see the Elizabeth and Mary. You know, why didn't Mary go to her own mom? I don't mm. know. Mm. But she went to a woman who understood what was on her life understood the challenges of what she would need to carry. And then we look at Ruth and Naomi. Naomi, who was like, I'm changing my name to bitterness, which I'm afraid of. There's a lot of older women that have changed their name to bitterness, and they've retired, and they're living lives of distraction. And God is like, no, you still actually have something beautiful on your life Mm -hmm. that could bless the younger women. Well, and it goes back to what you said earlier, is there's Bitterness roots from a wound that has never been healed. Absolutely. And if that wound has been done by other women, something someone thought was genuine and sincere and vulnerable, and it wasn't, it was transaction, it was kind of moving forward and moving on, then I can empathize with the wounded who says, well, I guess I really don't. That's that enables that belief of a lie, like I don't really have something to offer. I'm really only mm-hmm. wanted for mm-hmm. what I can give, not mm-hmm. for the actual relationship of who I am as a person. And um, that is, I think, sometimes the root of where these divisions happen, whether it's age, but also even amongst people my own age. You know, like I, I almost feel that if both parties have decided this is not transaction, I actually really like you and I want to know you and I want to be in friendship with you. And of course, I admire you and I respect you. But more than that, I just want to be around you. Like mm-hmm. if we could uh, bridge that gap more, I think, among women, it would not matter one bit what the age is. Yeah. It's the heart yeah. approach, right? Going into that. And you've been so beautiful with that for me. I know I called you one time crying because I thought, what's going on? What have I done wrong? And you were the first one to say, uh, it was transactional. And Rebecca, when you said that, I realized that not all of our relationships are intimate, like you're describing, where there's a commitment, where there is, hey, I want to grow with you. And and I want to know if I've hurt you. And I want, I, I want to grow. I, I want to I want to 
I want to count on you as a friend and I want you to be able to count on me as a friend. And, you know, sadly, when there's not enough chairs at the table for women, it becomes a musical chair situation where everybody's kind of running in circles and a chair disappears and you women are- hurry up and sit on somebody and squash them. <laughs> yeah. Or they're pushing other women right. off. And and so I don't want to play that game. Yeah. And I, I know that when I met you, I, I could sense that's who you were. And mm-hmm. I was like, she's she's that person. And- I, I love her and I, I feel very protective and what's on her life. I want to just, I want to bless it and I want to watch it grow. And then you have just, I mean, the fact that you and I got to meet in London and then it just carried it for, now you love my son, Addison and his wife, Juliana. All your people. I love all your oh, people. Oh, well, they love you. And you came for my 60th birthday. Totally well, surprised Well, even me. what's so fun... Um, is that you You called and you're like, I'm coming in town. I already have a t- hotel, but can I stay with you tonight? I'm like, yes! <laughs> because, okay, that's what women don't do. Well, and I wanted you to know there was no pressure. Oh, I know, I know. But my point is, is like one thing that you described in the book is that we don't feel comfortable to actually ask and maybe put something out there yeah. and invite ourselves. Or we always feel like we are doing the dance and we don't want to put anybody else out. Mm. And so I have had some friendships where they're like, oh, don't worry about it. I don't want it. And it's almost like, no, no, no. I keep I keep inviting you or I keep initiating this. And you're like, I don't want to do that for you. And I'm like, in the end, I realized, oh, you're not actually saying that on my behalf, even though you, you're saying that it's on my behalf, but it's really about your level of vulnerability or comfortability with or the Or they feel like they owe you something. Yeah, like and why it, it, is that? Why why do we why not do we run no, from <laughs> <laughs> run from receiving um and would rather almost just not engage? What is it that keeps us from I think it's an unworthiness. Yeah. I I really do. I mean, and you and I've talked about that even fighting in our own life like that God will actually give us something beautiful to enjoy and we feel like okay, it's only valid if I share it with somebody. And mm-hmm. and you know, I've had to Say, all right, God, I'm going to, I'm going to actually, you know, allow you to bless me if it just seems stupid. Yes, yes, because <laughs> because that's that's who he is, and you know, I I think that we're missing a lot by not being vulnerable, and I I do think that there's godmothers out in the open, women who don't know that they are wanted, mm-hmm. and then there's goddaughters hiding in the open who don't know that they're being watched for. And what I wanted to do was open the eyes of both generations and say, hey, you know what? You need to connect. Yeah. You need to connect. And, you know, for for the duration of the book, I wanted to pour out what I could pour out. I don't have everything. Yeah. You know, when when I put it out there, I had over 600 questions come in and so many of the questions I could answer, but there were quite a few I couldn't. Things like, what do you do if you're divorced? Or what, you know, there were things, what do you do if your child's going through this or that? But there is somebody out there that can answer that. And so I'm not the answer to everybody, but I do believe that there is somebody out there that is. Yeah. If you're like many people in America right now, they're thinking through healthcare and trying to understand how to best provide for their family, safeguard against any future realities that no one can anticipate. One of the things Rebecca and I and our family have appreciated is the value of these sharing ministries, the the ability to come together with other Christians to actually share in our health care for one another. One of the best is Samaritan Ministries, and Samaritan Ministries has been helping over a quarter of a million Christians care for one another's needs, from broken bones to cancer, pregnancies, organ transplants, all without the use of insurance. 
Each month, Samaritan members send their monthly financial gift to another member with a medical need, pray for them, and maybe even send a note of encouragement. This is all very organized. I've had so many experiences with people who are part of Samaritans who just applaud what a great program this is. Not to mention that you're going to pay monthly much less than you would pay with typical insurance. So I hope you'll check it out. Learn more about it for you and your family. Find ways to save in your budget by going to SamaritanMinistries.org slash RFL podcast. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash RFL podcast. So I have a question about the gender gap. That was yes. one of my favorite chapters. And you spoke to this a minute ago about mm-hmm. almost the confusion in the narrative of who men really are and who women really are. And I love your um, your phrase that like women were never an afterthought in the creation story. They're integral to the reproduction of life, right? Yes. So, so talk a little bit about that is always a hot button issue yeah. right now, especially women who are saying that men and women who who would say that gender is really not um, formational from biology. Well, it's like we understand it is, but it's really still about like who you say you are. Speak to that a little bit of, of just like where that confusion can go or how that began. Like what does that look like? Well, I have a theory on it that when we do not value things that God values, then of course we devalue them and say they're not valuable or integral or necessary or defining. Because when the culture does not honor male and female the way God honors male and female, when it does not celebrate their strengths, and when it says, oh, you know what, let's blur the genders, and then we'll get androgynous mix, and that will be healing for everything. No, that's not it. Because same doesn't bring healing. Unique does uniqueness yeah. and God makes us one by making us different. And so I do feel that sadly the church has been very very wrong with the way they've handled gender. And then what culture has done is the culture has kind of say well there's inequities. So all right, so now what we'll do is we will value the women at the expense of the men. And you know culture used to be value the men at the expense of the women. And God's like all this is nonsense. Right. I am the one who made them one. I am the one who gave Adam the task of naming everything until he realized that there was nothing like him, mm-hmm. nothing competent and a reflection of him in form, but completely uniquely different. Nothing like him that was equal in strength, but different in strength. And so, you know, women are help me does not mean doormat. Help me does not mean you help meet my needs in a in a way that you're lesser than. Help me means like strength, face to face. I'm going to close your gaps and you're going to close my laps. And together we're going to be one. And so I've always believed in a marriage, marriage is a, a power union, not a power struggle. But just as marriage is a power union, not a power struggle, so should gender be a power union. You know, so right. I remember our organization having only one other fe- one female on our board, which was me, and it was ridiculous. I couldn't, I couldn't say anything. If I tried to say anything, everybody looked at John like, "Get your wife on a leash." And so <laughs> I was like, "I need another female in the room." Yep. And having another woman in the room. It validated and helped explain what was going on. I do feel like right now um, we have seen women rise, and women rising is a good thing. Mm -hmm. There are those that say, okay, women rising has displaced the men. Well, when we rise, we have a decision to make. Am I going to use 
my elevated voice, position, influence, financial status to suppress the men because the men suppress me? Or am I going to use that season to actually help the men? And here's the thing. When I look at our culture right now, Adam is alone again. He's in the basement. He's looking at pornography. He's single. He's struggling to find his identity. And people say, that's the women. The women have done it. Say, I don't believe that. I believe that the men's cruelty to the women ended up coming back on them. Because when I oppress somebody long enough, it ends up oppressing me. And so I feel like the men right now, we have to make a decision as women. Is it still a God-given mandate to take what was not good and make it so very good? Or do we just leave Adam in his state of aloneness where he forgets he has a need? And so this is the challenge that we have. And I'm not going to act like men haven't mistreated women. They have. But now, do we answer back by mistreating men? Right. And so for me, I feel like God gave me four sons so I could see the heart of men Mm -hmm. so that I could understand the beauty of being a woman, to take something that's not good, multiply it, and make it good. Oh, it's so good. I mean, I feel like the mic just dropped on the floor just now. (laughs) I'm... I remember a few years ago when you spoke at Q, and this is when this was really heightening, and Mm -hmm. this idea that God would never elevate the daughter to suppress the son. Mm -hmm. I mean, the vision has always been sons and daughters, and you know, your sons are doing that. They have sons and daughters. And they've done such a beautiful job with their wives. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, And that's really, I think, the heart of this is if we get it, if we try to reconcile something by then going back that pendulum so far, um, are we are we any further than we were? And I have sons too, and I appreciate your voice so much in this topic and area because anger and resentment um, and then getting on top with that anger and resentment is not going to get anyone anywhere, culturally, personally, individually, relationally. It's not going to get us where we really want to be. Here's a scary picture of it. So basically, when I was pregnant with Alec, I lived in Orlando, and I ate ice cream every single night. I believed in a minimum of a 50-pound weight gain for a good baby. So I was large and in charge. John and I were so poor. I can't picture it. No, I was massive. (laughs) I can find pictures. I was massive. And I remember John was super skinny because we were poor. We never could eat meat. So he weighed 138. And I don't know what happened, but I decided to sit on him. So he was on the floor. Like, I don't know if I was rubbing his back and I decided to sit on him to see if he could get up. And he couldn't get up. And I thought, I am so strong. No, I was just large. I was just heavy. And so I mistook strength for holding and sitting on something and keeping it down. Yeah, But see, real strength would mean I'd be able to pick up John and carry him. Yeah, And I actually have never been able to pick up my husband and carry him. And so we have to decide, (laughs) is real strength oppression or is real strength lifting? Yeah. And it's so as women, you know, we got to decide. Yeah, we've been sat on. Yeah. Are we going to sit on? Yeah. Now (laughs) we got to sit on people. Are we going to use our strength and our words? and our voices to actually lift the next generation. You know, and I I use the Cinderella dynamic because I look at Cinderella and what set her apart wasn't her beauty. What set her apart was that she was kind and she was constant under cruelty and misrepresentation and somebody's trying to strip her identity away. But the one 
item that she had was a glass slipper. Mm. And the glass slipper was the only thing that didn't turn back. The pumpkin, you know, the carriage went back to a pumpkin. The mice were, you know, no longer horses. But the glass slipper was the only thing that elevated her and said this encounter with the prince had happened. And I think that you and I have this glass slipper, whether we see it or not, that says she opens her mouth with wisdom and kindness, you know, that she loves well, that she clothes her house in purple, that she can laugh at the future. And what we have a culture saying to us, no, 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 don't wear the glass slipper, stomp your feet in it. And Mm. we are leaving glass pieces on a pathway for the next generation. And the brokenness that we are leaving Mm-hmm. is going to injure them. Yeah. And so I want to see women remember their elevated position. Remember it is something unseen, something undefinable that is about the woman that has this beauty to take what is in the man and on the man and multiply it. And as I multiply the men, it doesn't diminish me. Right. It multiplies my life as well. So let's end with you talking specifically to the older woman and then to the younger woman, or you can do it in the opposite order, whichever you want, and just give them a first step. Like they're hearing this, they've got your book, they're reading it, they want this kind of relationship that you're describing. What is the first action item you would ask either of them to take? Well, the first thing I would ask them that they would pray Ephesians, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know, that God would show them the daughters, this is for the older women, the daughters hiding in their midst, and the God daughters, the mothers that are are unaware that they are needed. Mm -hmm. And just ask the Holy Spirit to begin to show them women. And one of the just practical thing is, you know, if you want a healthy marriage, you probably need to look for a woman who has a healthy marriage. You can say, okay, where is a couple that is building their marriage and life in a way that we want to land in 10 to 20 years? So just be real practical with that. Then maybe who is a parent? that has a family the way I like the way their family feels. I like the way they do life. Find that person. And and again, this is the younger women. Go to that woman and say, how can I have you in my life? And then the older women, be aware. It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to do a 13-week study with you, (laughs) and we're going to walk through the book of Proverbs slowly. I mean, like we, we don't have to do that. Just invite her into your life. Just be organic with it. Just you know, FaceTime have, her in your robe. <laughs> hey, you did it to me first. The first FaceTime call was from you. And just, and just say, all right, we, we just, this is how we do life. If you, if you want to come into my life, this is what we're going to do. This is what I learned the hard way. Doesn't work well. This is what I learned the easy way. And ask her, but you know, don't make it just one way. Yeah. You know, ask her questions. I have I have a young girl that's reached out to me. She's gone through some crisis recently. And and I mean, to be honest with you, Rebecca, the things that she's been through, I, I actually am so astounded that she has survived. Mm. But I saw her starting to go down a path. And I just said to her, she sent me something. And I just said to her, do you really want to hear what I want to say to you right now? Mm. And And she said, yes. And I said, do you still want to be married? Because it sounds like you don't. And she wrote me back and she said, I don't know. And I said, that's a good, honest answer. And then she got alone with God 
And she came back and she said, I do want to be married. And she just like wrote, but nobody was, everybody Asking else was just- a hard question. Everybody else was just saying, oh, this is terrible. Oh, I'm sorry. And if she had said, no, I don't want to be married, that I would have taken the conversation a different direction. But I needed to know because blaming and shaming other people is not going to move her forward. And, you know, there came a time in my marriage where I had to say, all right, you know, I, I had a spiritual father say to me, Lisa, can you give John 30 days? And I said, Yes. You know, I've had five years invested in my marriage. I was newly married. I can give him 30 days. He had an addiction to pornography. And I remember thinking, I can't, I can't live another day with this. And he said, Can you give him 30? And I mm. said, Yes, I wow. can give him 30. And he said, I'm gonna pray. You're gonna pray. And this is what's gonna happen. And we're gonna see God do something. And then in 30 days, we're gonna make a decision. And you know what? Those 30 days changed everything. Yes. And so I, I think that we need people that will do that. So we need the godmothers that are going to be honest. Mm-hmm. And stop stop trying to be their friends. I mean, you you can be a friend, but don't be like them, you right, know? Right. And so to be a godmother, all you need to know is more than what they know in a certain area. And, you know, I love the whole idea of Deborah for the older women. It said, village life had ceased until I, Deborah, awoke, awoke a mother in Israel. I love that version, but there's a better one in the message. It says, the warriors were fat and sloppy in the land until I, Deborah, awoke a mother. And so when women wake up, they call forth destiny. Mm -hmm. So godmothers will see something in a goddaughter or even a godson Mm -hmm. that they can't see in themselves. Right. And so they can speak into that and say, has God not said to you? Let's talk about who you really are. Oh, but I'm afraid. You better come with me. Okay, I'm going to come with you. So I think that we just need to go with, and then God daughters, don't be afraid to ask for what you need. And if the first one says, I I don't have time for that, Mm -hmm. just keep asking. Yeah, we did that. I remember um, you and I had had our friendship and Gabe kept watching me just just enjoy that time so much. And Gabe and I really wanted a couple who were partners in ministry over the long haul, raising kids, you know, like two callings in the same direction and how to be united. And so he kept pursuing, like, we need to just fly out there and be with Lisa and John. We need to learn from them. And it's true. And you guys, we asked, and you guys were up for it and gave us so many things and continue to um, just encourage us uh, and remind us of what is true about each other. Because it is true. If you don't have other people who are walking that road ahead of you that looks very similar in in calling or mission or alignment, then um, you can buy those lies of de- being derailed. And, and so I'm so thankful for that. But thank you for doing this. Thank you for being on today. Everyone grab her book. It's just incredible. It's transformative. She lives everything she writes, obviously. And um, let's challenge one another right now to, if you're older, reach out, ask, ask for discernment. If you're younger, ask for courage to ask, um, to reach out and initiate with somebody who's living a life that you um, admire and want to see God move in you in a transformative way. Thank you, girl. Love you. Love you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing these two talk and laugh and just get into some of the real issues that I think many of us don't always have the time to, to think through and to understand and how to navigate. And it was warm, it was welcoming, and I hope it's encouraged you that Lisa's the kind of person that's totally here for you. She's here for Rebecca. I know her and her husband, John, have been great friends for Rebecca and I. And you can learn more about her thinking on this. You can go a lot deeper by reading Godmothers, Why You Need One and How to Be One. So I hope you'll check that out anywhere 
books are sold. Thank you again for being a part of this Rhythms for Life community. I hope you have a wonderful week.